you have your Bibles and will open with me, I am going to take you to the book of Matthew, the sixth chapter, and I am going to read beginning with verse number 25, and I'm going to read a very uh, lengthy portion of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, you can read along with me, and uh, then we're going to take a step into the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Every time there's a therefore, there's a wherefore. There's a reason that God would speak to us in such terms. He said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought of your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the, the, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for, it think, for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. I know most of you are familiar with this particular portion of Scripture. Uh, I don't think any of us have been around the church for any length of time and not heard a portion of it quoted or read from. Let me go back. I want to read it from another translation. Perhaps open your eyes to what I would like to focus on for a few moments tonight. But let me read it from the, the, the Living Bible the translation. It says, so my counsel is, don't worry about things. Everybody say things. Don't worry about things, food, drink, clothes. For you already have life and a body, and they are far more important than what you eat and wear. Look at the birds. They don't worry about what to eat. They don't need to sow or reap or store up food for your heavenly Father feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than they are. 
Will all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothes? Look at the field lilies. They don't worry about theirs. Yet King Solomon in all his glory was not clothed as beautifully as they. And if God cares so wonderfully for flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, won't he more surely care for you, O men of little faith? So don't worry at all about having enough food and clothing. Why be like the heathen, for they take pride in all these things and are deeply concerned about them. But your heavenly Father already knows perfectly well that you need them, and he will give them to you if you give him first place in your life and live as he wants you to. So don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. And everybody said amen again. I want to talk to you tonight about something that has been um, not troubling me, but a concern to me, and I'm certain that you will agree with me that it perhaps is a concern to you. But I want to talk to you tonight about beware the snare. Beware the snare. Everybody say that with me. Beware the snare. Turn to your neighbor and say it. Beware the snare. In recent months and weeks, there have been a few scriptures that have uh, come back to me over and over again in my study, and I find myself, no matter where I begin, I find a way of navigating through these verses of Scripture. And I, 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 I thought for a while that maybe my mind was just locked onto something and I just couldn't, uh, couldn't see clearly, but then I began to pray and realize that it was not my mind locked on something as much as it was God trying to direct me to something. But the verses that I have gone back to over and over again are verses that remind me of the goodness of the Lord and the care of God. One of those verses that I have gone back to many times is first or 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter, and verse number 7, Paul writing to the Thessalonican church that was in the midst of uh, turmoil and trouble. He said to them, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And then I have found myself going repeatedly to the book of Timothy and reading the admonition that Timothy gave or Paul gave to Timothy in regards to his ministry and working with people and helping people. And it's found in the second book of Timothy and it's the fourth chapter and the, and the 24th verse. And it reads like this, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, 
but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who hath taken captive by him, who, who are taken captive by him at his will. There are two things in these verses that have always caused me to step back as a minister and take a look at what I am attempting to do as a preacher and as a pastor to people. And that is helping people who oppose themselves. People who, no matter how you word it, they are their own worst enemy. And I have often tried to help people that are in just such a case. And I'm sure you have too. But the other thing that has disturbed me from this passage is the fact that Paul made it clear that it is possible for good people, for godly people, to be caught in a snare or a trap of the enemy and to be taken captive by him at his will. And when I got to looking at that, I thought, God, what are the ways that I as your child could be trapped or snared by the enemy? I I don't believe the devil has power over my life. I don't believe he can read my mind. I don't believe he knows what I'm thinking right now. He doesn't know the future uh, of my life in that regard. But he is, a, he is a master trickster. And he is a master at the snare, at, at producing a, 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 a trap of some kind into which you would fall. And when you do fall, you are limited in what God would like to do in your life. And so when I begin to think about, God, what are the snares that we can fall into as your children? And what are the things that the devil uses and works on to try to trap us and and bring us to a point of frustration? And one of them is found, or the subject is found in Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning in verse number 25, and it is the snare of worry. Everybody say worry. Turn to your neighbor and say it real loud. Worry, worry. Wake them up. Some of them are nodding off already. Worry. We live in an age that has been called by many the age of anxiety. And it is because we live under a great deal of stress and pressure. And our own human human limitations are oftentimes a source of weakness that encourages worry to sprout in our mind. You see worries affect all over the place. When you look into the face of people, you see the taunt and drawn looks. You see the intensity of their life. You see it exemplified in the attitudes that we are 
running into on a daily basis, attitudes that are tense and disquieted and apprehensive and some even vexed. And you see worries affect upon relationships that are troubled and disturbed, that produce alienation. And you see it again in physical signs. There is an onslaught of heart disease and there is an ex. A, 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 a growth in uh, nervous breakdowns and more and more we are battling with the old-fashioned stomach ulcer and most of those things are the product of this thing called worry. Everybody say it with me again, worry. And the truth is all of us have spent way too much time in our life worrying, worrying. We worry about grades in school. We worry about job interviews. We worry about approaching deadlines. We worry about shrinking budgets. We worry about bills and expenses. We worry about rising gas prices. We worry about global calamities. We worry about insurance costs. We worry about endless taxes. We worry about an insufficient government. We worry about identity theft. We worry about our own personal finances, about interest rates, about the stock market. We worry about contagious infection, having enough, shortfalls in our life, budget woes, employment. We worry about the future. We worry about life and death. We worry about our health or the health of a loved one. We worry about personal relationships and we worry about our families. And many times we worry about pleasing people. We worry about what people think about us. And our lives are drawn and strained. Yet in spite of all of our worrying, we're still alive. Amen. And we're still well. And we are, most of us, we have our bills paid and all of those things are okay. But it is true that over the span of a lifetime, worrying accounts for many hours that are valuable and they cannot be replaced Wouldn't it be wise for you and I to consider the influence and the effect of worry upon us and somehow learn how to take God at his word and give it up and let it go and learn what he tried to teach not only his disciples but you and I even in this day. Worry, by definition, means to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts. It means to fret, to torment with cares or anxieties or to trouble or plague. It literally comes from the root word which means to strangle, to grab by the throat, as an animal would grab a prey and sink its teeth in and bring that animal down, that is a picture of worry. It takes us by the throat and it strangles the life out of us. And though many times we laugh about it and we pass it off as not being that big a deal, it really is bigger than we imagine it to be. 
And worry is destructive in many ways. It becomes a mental burden that can even cause you to have physical problems. If you don't believe that, read Proverbs 12 and 25. It said, worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. Worry is not only a burden and it is a suppressor, it is also an extinguisher of our faith. And worry is a worship killer. There is nobody that I know of that gives themselves to continual worry that can also worship at the same time. They are almost mutually exclusive. If you worship, you're going to drive worry away. But if you don't worship and you don't learn how to worship through the worst of times and the most difficult of situations, then you will find yourself just like the definition with something around your throat choking the very life out of you. But worry is more than just a worship killer. Worry is a promise stealer. Worry is a promise stealer. And worry is a blessing suppressor. Worry is a blessing suppressor. It is one of the greatest stress factors in life. And no one in this building is exempt from the grip of worry upon your life. Abraham confronted it. Worry will try to strip you of the promises of God that have been given to you just like it was for Abraham. When God's promises were given to Abraham, he, it was to be the blessing to a world. He was, it seemed, too old for such a blessing to come. He was too old for such a promise to be true. And yet the Bible said he didn't worry about the fact that he was old. He believed the word of the Lord. I like what Romans said. He considered not his own body. I'm telling you tonight that if you are not careful, worry will get you so focused on your body that you will miss the promises that God is trying to pass on to that body and you will become like me or anyone else, stripped of those blessings and benefits. Oh, listen to me tonight, church. Worry is one of those things that all of us need to learn how to deal with, and there's a way scripturally to deal with it. But don't let worry steal God's promises from your life. Amen. Don't consider your body. It's frail. It's weak. The promises are not based on your body the promises are based on his power. Amen. Somebody listen to me tonight. Are you going to hear me right now? The promises of God are not based on your ability or my ability. They're not based on whether I have the talent or I have the gifts or the ability. The promises of God are based upon his word and his ability to perform. And so when God began to talk to Abraham about what he did, Abraham looked at his body. He said, I'm 100 years old and Sarah is 90 years old and by nature 
we are beyond that ability to produce. But God, if you said it, your word is more powerful than my body. Your word is more powerful than my circumstances. Your word is more powerful than my predicament. And I choose to believe the word of God and not worry about my body. We live in a world that is so body conscious. My Lord, I get so sick sometimes I want to throw up. We think that if we we sculpt this thing enough and we tan it enough and we trim it enough that it's going to be enough. Will you listen to me? You can trim it and sculpt it and do anything else you want. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be sufficient And God's promises to you and I are not based on our body. They're not based on our ability. They're based on his power and his principles. Amen. But worry, if you're not careful, will strip from you the promises of God and get you focused on your body, on what you can't do and what can't happen and what's impossible and what's improbable. And it will cause you to miss what God is saying in your life and what God would choose to do in your life because your eyes are on the wrong thing. Get your eyes off of your weakness. Get your eyes off of your insufficiencies. Get your eyes off of your problem and get your eyes on him and let him be God in your life. I don't care what the economy does. I don't care what the president does. I don't care what Congress does. I don't care what the Pope does. I don't care what any other organization. I don't care what the Muslims do. God is still on the throne and God is still in control of my life and no matter what happens in this world, nothing is going to trump the word of God. And if God said it, it's settled, folks. And we need to get back to where we believe and live and trust and work in that word that God's word can do it. My word can't do it. My body can't do it. But God's word can do it. God's word can bring it to pass. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Stop worrying about your body, either naturally or physically. And I don't mean don't care for it. Please don't misunderstand me. This particular portion of Scripture is not advocating uh, a cavalier attitude, uh, ha- just a happy-go-lucky, don't care what happened, just get up singing all the, and, and, and be ignorant to what the reality, that's not what that's talking about at all. What it's really talking about is making sure that as a child of God, you keep your eyes focused on the right thing and you keep your spirit tuned to the right thing and you keep your goals in the right order and you let God be the director of your life. 
And you let God be the one who chooses and God who directs and God who leads. And when you begin to live like that, it will free you from that burden of worry. That spirit that grabs you in the middle of the night by your throat and tries to strangle the life out of you. That every time you lift your hands to worship, some lying spirit comes along and jumps on your shoulder and grabs you around the throat and tries to stifle you lift your hands and say in the name of Jesus I've come to praise the Lord in the name of the Lord I live tonight and by the power of that name I am an overcomer I want to talk to you about a way to live in troubled times and that is to not worry but trust him in the parable of the sower Jesus defined four soils of which the seed fell. One of those the Bible describes as thorny ground. And the Bible said that it received the seed, the powerful seed. Seed that in just another verse is going to be described as producing 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Seed that was going to triple and quadruple and all the exponential numbers you can add increase itself. You sow a a, a kernel of corn and you reap an ear that has 200 or 300 kernels of corn. So what God is trying to tell me is that in the seed there is potential that will blow your mind. There is in the power of God's word the ability to blow your mind that God can do abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that worketh in us that there is in the seed the ability to transform and change but the Bible said that when that seed fell on thorny ground that the seed was stifled and the spiritual potential of that seed was stifled in that life or in that soil and this is how the scripture describes it that the cares of this life the worries of this life choked that's the word that he used choked that seed and stifled the potential that's what worry does in our life it takes hold of the seed of God that's come into our life and it will strangle the worries of life will strangle our life so much so that that seed cannot produce what God sent it to produce all that it could and should have produced was affected by worry That's why you and I have to know there is a way over and we must not be trapped or snared in this thing called worry. Amen. Am I talking to anybody here tonight that's battling worry? It attacks the thought processes. Luke 12 and 26. It attacks the thought processes. Worry makes you anxious about the wrong things. Bible speaks of a time when Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house. You know the story. The Bible speaks to us that Mary found her place at the feet of Jesus. But where was Martha? Mary was there by Jesus, but Martha was somewhere in the kitchen. 
And she was cumbered and worried, and her worry produced aggravation. And a little while she comes out and said, Lord, don't you care that I'm back here breaking my back, working my fingers to the bone, and my lazy sister just sitting in here in the living room not paying attention? Doesn't it bother you? And the Lord said, he rebuked her. He said, Mary, Mary, or Martha, Martha, you are cumbered about. You are worried. You are scared. You are caught up in many things, in a lot of worries, in a lot of anxieties. You are stressed out over way too many things. What you need is the one thing that Mary desired, and that was my presence. She wanted my presence more than she wanted a a nice presentation. She wanted my presence more than she wanted a nice meal. She wanted my presence more than she wanted me to be influenced by all that she could do. And she has chosen the best part. But you, Martha, you, Martha, instead of focusing on me, you have focused on many things. And worry has made you anxious about the wrong things. Amen. It will cause you to miss the best in life. And not only that, worry will exhaust you. It will wear you out. It will keep you awake at night. It's important, folks, that we know and remember this. Your part and God's part. And don't get them confused. Amen. Say it with me. My part... God's part. You see, in every one of us, there is a tendency to play God. There is a tendency in all of us to want to run the universe, at least our universe. There is in all of us this innate something that wants to bear the weight of the world on our shoulders, thinking that we can do it. But it's important to know And remember your part and God's part. Amen. And that's what I believe the simple truth of Matthew Matthew 6, 25 through 34. It is defining and underlining my part, God's part. My part, God's part. And he goes through systematically and reminds these men who were concerned about things and that were, were baffled by other issues. And he shows them a way to live in troubled times. He shows them an attitude of life that can transform them and put a smile on their face and joy in their heart and can make them have a reason to live and get up in the morning. And so when I began to look at this passage a few weeks ago, there are some things that began to jump out at me, and God began to speak to me about the antidote to worry. This is the the medicine that I need to take on a daily basis. This is what I need to to ingest daily. I I need to get up in the morning, and I need to take it. And when I sit down at the noon meal, I need to take it. And when I go to the evening meal, I need to take my medicine again because when I do, there is a 
therapy that comes. There's a therapeutic value that there's a healing that comes over my life. And there's a soothing of the brow and the worry and the fretting and the anxiety and all of the frustration that comes with that and the exhaustion that comes with worry. It begins to dissipate and slowly but surely ease out of our life. Amen. And so I'm going to give you an antidote to worry. How many of you have ever gone to a doctor before and gotten a prescription? Some of you afraid to admit that? You've gone to a doctor and gotten a prescription? And on that prescription there is a specific order in which you are to take this medicine for best benefits. One of the things that it will tell you is take all the medicine. Take it to the very last pill. Don't just take it two or three days until you get to feeling better and then forget it because all you do is you cause your body to build up a resistance against that particular medication and when you really need it, your body's not going to respond to it. And you know what the truth is? We've done that to the Word of God so much that that's why the Word does not affect us any more than it ought to affect us. We've taken it two or three days and two or three times, and we'll do it here, and we do it in spurts, but we don't stay with it like the Scripture. We don't keep the prescription. We don't go all the way. And so what I want to get you in the mind of, let's just take it regularly. If it says morning and evening, then do it morning and evening. But these are the things that I want you to understand from what Jesus said to these disciples in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Number one, he said, you need to remember that I gave life And only I can sustain it. I am the one that gave life and only I can sustain him. You give your best and you work as hard as you can work, but you leave the results to me. I am the one that gives the fruit for the labor. You cannot produce that in your own You must do what I tell you to do. And when you do what I tell you to do, there will be a fruit that will come. Don't put your hope in the wrong thing. Don't think that you're going to work it out. And don't think that just giving your best is where, then, then that's the best that you can do. Give your best and then look to God for the result. Work hard and leave the results in God's hand because God gave life and he is the only one that can sustain life. The second thing that God showed me in this passage is that as a child of God, I have to learn how to accept uncertainty. I have to learn how to accept uncertainty. We do not know all and we do not know as we would like to. The Bible said, Paul said, that we only know in part. There are many mysteries of life and we fellowship those mysteries on a daily basis. Why you suffer, why I suffer, why I have sickness or you have sickness or you have family problem or other distresses in your life. I can't give you an answer to all of that, but this I know. I know God and I know that he knows the way that I take 
And I am going to accept the fact that I will never on this side of eternity know everything that I want to know about life. And I will never on this side of glory understand everything that I want to understand. But I can still enjoy the benefits of living in the presence of God. Amen. How many of you really understand? I mean, you really understand the combustion engine. How many of you understand how that works? I mean, really understand every detail of that. There might be one or two in here that do. But the majority of us, we don't know a piston from a fire plug. And we don't know a spark plug from a carburetor, hardly. We wouldn't know if that coil wire was it, what, what, but that doesn't keep me from enjoying the benefits of that automobile. I get in and I turn the ignition and that motor fires up. I don't understand electricity, but I enjoy it every day. I don't understand how all those molecules go together and warm, but they work. I don't understand a, a lot of things about life, but I enjoy them. And so it is with God. Some of us can spend a lifetime worrying and fretting over un, uh, the, the unknowns of life. Why did God let this happen? Why am I going through this? Why isn't God answering my prayer? Why don't I have a, a, a direction? Why don't I see a way through? And we get so caught up in worrying about it. Why not just accept the fact that there's some things in this life you're never going to understand. Get over it and get on living for God and understand that by and by when the morning comes, He's going to pull back the curtain and you'll know everything you need to know. Some songwriters wrote years ago, heaven holds all the secret that time will never tell. But you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion that there may be some things that when we get to heaven, we think right now we got to have an answer to, that when we get there, we're not going to worry the least bit about them. Except the uncertainties of life. The third thing that the Lord showed me is that you have to challenge your thoughts in this thing called life. Not every thought is a valid thought. Not every thought is a worthy thought. Not every thought is a reasonable thought. So don't get caught up in believing everything that your thoughts may be trying to tell you because your mind can play tricks on you. Your mind can think you're suffocating and dying and it's nothing more than a panic attack. Yeah, your mind can tell you a lot of things that are not true. So don't let your mind play tricks on you. Challenge those thoughts. He said, who can give thought to his life? Who by your thinking can change your stature and add a cubit to your life. 
What is he saying? He's not just saying that if you think you can grow or if you think about it strongly enough, you can add a foot or 18 inches to your height. He's saying there are some thoughts that come to your mind that you need to challenge. You don't need to let stay there. Don't leave them. Don't give them credence. And don't exaggerate your problems. Life is killing me. No, it's not. This is getting the best of me. No, it's not. The best of you, God has. I'll never get over this. Be careful the words that choose your words carefully. I read the other day an article that reminded me that we are what we eat. And I really wasn't interested in reading that, but I read it anyway. And I realized that we really are what we ingest, what we take into our body. And we can take in good and we can take in bad. And the truth is, Our mind can do the same thing and our mind can take stuff in that is not healthy, it's toxic and we are what we eat and if you feed on the right things, you and I will have a healthy spiritual life and a healthy physical life and so what he says is you need to feed on me. Feed on what I've done. Feed on what I have provided. Feed. Look at the fowls of the air and sea. They don't worry about what's going on. They just enjoy the benefits of my creation. Why can't you be like the the lily of the field that doesn't worry or sow or stress out about clothes? It just enjoys the the fact that I created them. Why can't you enjoy the fact that I am God and I created you and I know how to keep you and I know how to protect you and I know how to clothe you and I know how to direct you and I know how to get you through whatever you're going through. Amen. Don't buy the lie. This is too much for me or I'll never make it through this or I'll never be the same again. That's a lie. That's a lie. Don't panic. Pray. Don't pace the floor. Pray. Amen. Don't dwell on it. Deal with it. Mosquito flies around your head and lights on your forehead. Start sucking the blood out of your head. You don't say, now, what am I going to do about this? You swat that joker as quickly as you can. That's what you need to do to worry some thoughts. Just swat them. Deal with it. Amen. Don't stew over it. Do something about it. Amen. Pray. Challenge your thoughts. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness. Thank you, God, for this day. Amen. I may be crippled. I may be limping, but I'm still limping. I may be partially here, but at least part of me's here. You got to learn how to be thankful for something. Amen.
thankful for the blessings of God, thankful for the goodness of God, thankful that God is always faithful. Amen. The fourth thing that God showed me, and I'm closing. He said, you have to let me be enough. Let me be enough. Say that with me. Let God be enough. Say it again. Let God be enough. He said, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. The word seek means to concentrate or focus on. There will always be overwhelming circumstances. There will always be uncertainties. There will always be mysteries. There will always be problems. There will always be pain of some kind in this life. But God is greater than them all. And God is enough. I said he's enough. I don't need him and more. I don't need him plus something. I just need God. And that's what Matthew in recording the words of Jesus in this particular scene in Scripture tries to define for us. You have to let me be enough. Amen. Let God be enough. When you fear, let God be enough. When you are concerned, let God be enough. God is able, say it with me, God is able to do, come on, say it, to do exceeding, exceeding, abundantly, abundantly, above, above. Let's start over. God is able to do, say it again, God is able to do exceeding, come on, say it, exceeding, abundant, above, all, all that you and I could ask or what or think, oh my word. Amen. Let him be enough. Let him be all that he desires to be, and that is the Lord of your life. And if you'll let him be the Lord of your life, he'll direct you through everything in life that tries to stop you. Amen. If you'll let him be Lord, even if you come to a Red Sea, He'll cause the west wind or the east wind to blow and dry it up so you can get across. If you get into a situation and you don't have anything to eat, he can provide manna in a wilderness. If you're thirsty and you don't have a source, he can provide water out of a rock. Not only that, better than that, honey in a rock. Oh, Amen. Honey in a rock. Why not let him be enough? Let him be what he said he could be and should be to you. And if you will, it'll drive worry out of your heart every time. 
But you're going to have to do this morning and evening for a while before your mind is going to wrap itself around what I've talked to you about tonight. You're going to have to get up in the morning and you're going to have to say to yourself, He gave life and He sustains it. I'm going to accept the uncertainties, the things that I cannot understand. And I'm going to challenge my thoughts. And I am going to let God be enough. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.